You're listening to the Popzar Podcast. The State of Gaming. What's going on? Welcome back to the Popzara Podcast. It's the State of Gaming. That's right. It's the podcast run by your Popzara pals talking about video games, talking about sales, talking about numbers, talking about what's going on in a nice, safe, clean environment that you're not embarrassed about. You won't have to keep up with the Joneses because we're not that intense. We're quite lovable. This is Nathan Evans, managing editor of Popzara.com, back once again with Popzara's own senior games editor, Mr. Corey G-Man. Galahar, Corey, welcome back. So actually, um, I've decided that lovable is my middle name now. Lovable is a good thing. Like, lovable is like, lovable is something that you don't have to fear will, like, mutate into a serial killer. No promises about that. No promises. Yeah, but if anybody says love you unconditionally, run. As I said, we are the State of Gaming podcast run by Popzara. Uh, we talk about games on the monthly, what the biggest releases are, what the biggest sales numbers are, and a little bit of that. Try to do it without snark. Try to do it for fun. We've been doing this a while. We're pretty good at it. And for this month, that would be for August 2021. Yep. The last month of summer. Yay. Summer, summer. Corey, I got to be honest with you. I'm looking at the list this month. Not a big list. So yeah, good. I mean, it's not surprising. It's always been the case of so far back as I can remember is that around the end of summer, maybe the early parts of the autumn, you had kind of a kind of a slow period for games as we all get ready for the uh, holiday season. That's true. And let's be honest here. Uh, the video game world works on cycles. Yes. They work on the sales cycles, which means they are unless you're uh, unless you're non-competitive, you're probably not going to see very, very many big, big games come out in August, September. They like to save that stuff for November for the holiday season. Uh, there are exceptions, but those are exceptions that prove the rule. Let us dig deep into what's going on. So let's talk about the games of August 2021 that are worth your time. Sure. So the first one we have on here actually is uh, news to me. I hadn't heard about this one before. You serious? Yeah, seriously. I had not. I have not heard of this one before. I looked into it after I saw it on the list, of course. But um, yeah, no, I didn't know this was a thing that was ha- that was happening. Uh, Aliens Fireteam Elite is what we're talking about here. And maybe I could just be reacting to the fact that the last couple Aliens games were good, but there were a lot of bad ones before that. You know what the funny thing is? Aliens has as spotty a record with video games as anything I've ever seen. Yeah. The, the good ones are very, very good. The bad ones are really, really bad. And it's interesting. So, I think it says something about the IP that they just keep trying. Like, after Colonial Marines comes out and just flops and nobody ever wants to play an Aliens game ever again. Yeah. Do you have any good memories of Alien games from your childhood or anything that sticks out from the olden days? So I remember the very first gaming computer I got was right after I finished college. It was the Alien vs. Predator-like reboot. And it blew my mind. I thought it was amazing. I don't know if you've ever played that one. Well, there ha- that's the thing about this. Uh, we got to be careful. When we say Aliens, we have to separate it from Aliens versus Predator. Because right. A, those are separate IPs versus separate IPs. And second... There have been Aliens versus Predator games almost as long as there have been Aliens games. That's true. That is true. I'm thinking also back um, when I was a kid, I was a real stupid kid, and uh, there was Alien 3 on the Super Nintendo. You ever played it? Yes. So you know how Uh, Ripley starts with a machine gun in that game? I'll say this before you go off. um, The Super Nintendo version is not the best version of that game. I've heard that. The Genesis version is better, apparently. Genesis version is better. It's significantly better for reasons we don't have to get into, but let's just say it's better. So but it's a, not bad on Super Nintendo. It's not bad. Right. I was a real stupid kid. Remember how she had a machine gun? She did. I thought it was just a really short-range flamethrower. 
<laughs> so I just got her up in the face of everything to like hit them with the muzzle flash from the machine gun. Did you beat it? No, of course not. You know, uh, I was talking about Alien 3 the other day. Do you ever go on YouTube? Do you ever look up old games for old systems that you may have missed? Oh, Are yeah. Are you one of those people? Yeah, absolutely. So I was dig- deep diving into the Master System a while ago, and I was shocked. And maybe I had known this. Maybe I forgot. But there's a version of Alien 3 on the Master System that's actually not bad. Really? Yeah, it's, it's every once in a while you, you sort of start to see like a parallel world of what could have happened if people gave a damn. Yeah, Alien 3 on the Master System, not bad. Of course, you know, Genesis is the best. Genesis. Sega. <sighs> but, uh, but no, uh, Aliens, uh, Firestorm Elite, what do we know about this? So based on what I saw, there's a game coming out, I want to say maybe October, November, can't recall exactly when. It's called Back for Blood. You heard of that one? It's the spiritual successor to Left 4 Dead, right? Right. So you've heard of it, and so have the people behind Aliens Fireteam Elite, because it's pretty <laughs> sure it's a it's a clone of Back for Blood with the Aliens franchise. That's cool. Like, again, though, like you said, it, but Aliens Fireteam Elite, it's a budget game, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. It's hard to say just yet. We'll have to see a price point when it comes out. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I just feel bad because Aliens, I think they just announced, I forget who's doing it, Netflix or, or HBO or, or Amazon, there's a new uh, show coming out from the guy who made Fargo, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll see. Real quick, I guess since we don't really know about this game and we're kind of uh, dancing around that obvious thing, have you seen the Aliens movies? So actually, I watched Alien. I thought it was great. I watched mm-hmm. Aliens, and I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty goddamn good too. But then I read what happened in Alien 3, <laughs> and I skipped it. I actually just watched Alien 3 for the first time in like 30 years. Is it as bad as and it sounds? No, it's not bad. It's not a great movie, but here's the thing, though. You, you know how we talk about subverting expectations? Right. Well, David Fincher, you know, the director, that was his first film, and he basically subverted expectations. And I, I feel bad for him because he's coming off of Aliens, right. one of the best action movies of all time by James Cameron. And so what he does, he just – spoiler – he just kills all the characters. Yeah, he kills, kills off two. He kills off the most important, I guess, non-protagonist characters in the previous film, just out of nowhere, just off-screen before Literally the film the even starts. Yeah, yeah. And I got to give him credit, though. I mean, he did something different. If you have a chance, if you haven't seen it or have a bad taste, there's a version called the Assembly Cut of Aliens Three, yep. which fixes a lot of problems. It's still not as good as Aliens, but it's not bad. It's worth watching. That being said, Aliens Four, Aliens Resurrection, is it just tragedy? It's written by Josh Whedon, of all people. Yep. And you can see all of his cliches. Yeah, it's just a weird film that sends this, the franchise out in a bad thing. But if anybody ever tells you that we don't have strong female badass protagonists, Sigourney Weaver says, hello, I'm over here. I've been here doing this thing for 35 years. Yep. But anyway, that's that's our way of dancing around that we don't know much about Aliens for Team Elite. Yeah, you know, I will say the past couple Alien games, uh, Alien Isolation – uh, was pretty good, like actually pretty solid. If you're into that the horror aspect of the Alien franchise, it's the game for you. You know what, though? The last time I think there was a really, really, really decent Alien game, you have to go back to the Saturn and the PlayStation, and I think it was called Alien Trilogy. Yes, that's the one. It was a classic first-person shooter. First-person shooter when there wasn't a lot of those on those consoles, and it was very, Back when we called them good. Doom Clones. Yeah, this is before analog control when everything was digital, but um, you know when you had to pick a team... But no, uh, I remember having a good time with Alien Trilogy. I don't remember much about it, but again, a first-person shooter on a video game console in 1996, 97, was a big deal. 
I recall so, people being mad about the fact that you had to move with one stick and turn with the other. Oh. You know what? I can't wait for people to rediscover Metroid Prime because, wow. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you get used to two analog sticks. You forget what it was like when you had one. Yeah. So the alien stuff is cool. I'll say this. I think you exemplify what a lot of people think when they think of aliens games is that some of the best are the aliens versus predator games yes very so, much so like, like people who everyone who's ever had a jaguar knows well they know aliens versus predator on there so we'll we'll see how it goes and i think there was a capcom was there a capcom side-scrolling game too oh uh, there know? was it was a brawler i um, had a um, arnold schwarzenegger kind of takeoff in that game <laughs> i remember people really liked that game it's good arcade. yeah it's excellent but anyway, moving on. So what do we got after Aliens? Uh, after Aliens, we have the new game from Amplitude. That's the people who made the uh, the Endless games, Endless Space, Endless Legend, uh, Dungeon of the Endless. Uh, it's called Humankind. No more Endless, huh? Yeah, I guess they decided to move back to a more terrestrial setting. Um, this is basically the latest and greatest take on kind of the civilization idea. Mm-hmm. It's I... on Game Pass now, actually, right this second. The uh, the promotion makes it look interesting because it definitely looks more modern. What's the synopsis for people who've never heard of Humankind? So the idea here is it's kind of like Civilization, but instead of choosing from a civilization, you're familiar with these games, right? You choose if you want to be India or America or whatever, right? Exactly. In Humankind, actually, you're developing your own civilization. So um, you just kind of start as a tribe of wanderers and gatherers and stuff, but um, you determine, like, what your values are going to be, what your religion is going to be like, your politics and such, and you make your own civilization. Oh, wow. So it's basically Antifa the game. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Woo, sorry. (laughs) Just, yeah, woo. Spicy. Uh, have you played it yet? No, not yet. I actually downloaded it right before we started talking. Okay. Well, yeah, it it's, got a, it, it's got a lot of buzz, but it's, it seems like the perfect type of game to release in August. There's not much else out there. It's the kind of game that's really good for this whole never-ending pandemic lifestyle, I think. It's the kind of thing you can get, all, get some friends on voice chat and just all play it and forget about the fact that there's going to be a row variant one of these days. Well, you know what? Since you can't have a real life in the real world, you might as well make a fake one in the fake world. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, watch for the review on Pop Zara, most likely. Woo! See, that's a that's a callback. Now, the next game on the list should need very little introduction, but let's introduce it anyway. What is it? So, Ghost of Tsushima is actually being re-released on PS5 under the name Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut. And it's uh, They're adding quite a bit to it, if you can believe that. Have you played Ghost of Tsushima, the PS4 version, on the PS5 yet? I have. Um, in fact, I've had to kind of stop myself from playing more of it because it's a big improvement, but this will be a bigger improvement. You know what's really sad? Like, Ghost of Tsushima uh, was that game on PS4 where people looked at it and said, this looks better than PS5 games. That's a really rough situation to be in, too. You know, I think I've told people a few times, I think they maybe should have saved this one as a launch title for the PS5. Yeah, but it's been a really big hit on the PS4. So. Oh, yeah. No, everybody loves it. Especially in Japan, they love it. I guess that shouldn't be surprising, but they adore this game in Japan. <laughs> they just, they just Fukuyama. Yeah, that, that, that word I didn't say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is a family uh, so podcast. You know what's funny about this, though, mm-hmm. is that I played, I beat it, and, you know, full disclosure, we've talked to some of the people who made it. Yep. But I will say this. It's interesting to see how the Japanese actually like this game. Right. And not only that, but they uh, there's been some historical preservation attributed to this game regarding like gateways and everything. Right. And um, but you always hear that list of people like they said, well, this game wasn't made in Japan; it's a cultural appropriation. No, the Japanese like this game. End of yeah, story. that was it. Was interesting because it's one of the very few times I've seen this happen where the culture in question just straight up shuts down the idea that it's cultural appropriation. They they love this game. They like this game because I think it it does what it, it's supposed to do. Yep. And it does it really well. They announced there's going to be a movie based on this game. Really? That doesn't surprise me at all. I hope it's better than the Assassin's Creed movie. Wouldn't be hard. 
That's but, very true. No, this is a very pretty game. I will say this. Uh, Ghost of Shima is a explosion of color. Yes. And I, I have yet to see it for myself, but um, apparently if you play the, the PS5 version or you play the game on PS5 or I guess this one on a nice HDR display, you basically – that's what heaven looks like. I will say the best part of the PS5 version is that it is a smooth, crispy 60 FPS at all times. It is amazing. Like I said, I've had to uh, to explicitly try to not play this game because I really want to, but I want to wait for this director's cut, which has new content. It's got haptic feedback. It's got all kinds of stuff. I will say this. Uh, I want to say this. If any, you ever get into the conversation that graphics equal fidelity or graphics equal polygon numbers or you know that, I think Ghost of Shima is a good counterpoint is that when we talk about visuals, we also have to talk about styling, and we have to talk about color saturation. Right. Because I think Ghost of Tsushima is one of the most is one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen, but not necessarily because the graphics are so great. Because the graphics are okay; they're not they're not the best I've ever seen. But the way the game is styled is so pretty, and it's just so much fun to look at. And right. It, you know, it reminds you just a couple of years ago we were talking about how brown games were and how green they were, and now we have these things. It's like Skittles all over your TV. Hey, it's you know, just, it's, it's nice. like a like a unicorn puked all over my screen. It really is, except there's no unicorns in this game. Although there are lots of foxes. That's true. They're so, everywhere. You can pet yeah, them. Yeah, don't kill them. Yep. So, okay, Ghost of Tsushima director's cut coming out. So, what is next? Let's talk about it. You know, let's let's talk about a game that no one wants, that no one was anticipating. Oh boy. That, oh, I'm just kidding. What, what are we talking okay. about? So, I want to introduce a company that you guys might have heard of. I think they are. <laughs> I think they are in no small part responsible for the state the industry is in now, uh, whether you think that's a good or a bad thing. We're going to talk about Double Fine Entertainment. Double Fine, I mean, they were a thing. They've always been a thing. But they really became a thing when they uh, started their Kickstarter for Double Fine Adventure, which eventually became the game we knew as Broken Age. And uh, it kind of redefined the face of video games, video games writing, video game fandom as we know it. That's Can uh, we... Can we just go step one quick second back and say sure. why they were able to do that? Because the reputation that the, the creators had built. So they had built. Really, that's important. That's important. Yeah, for a very for quite a while, you could actually trade on trade in your reputation on Kickstarter and become a millionaire. Like not even lying about that. And one of the first people to do that was a man named Tim Schafer. And one of the reasons he could do that was because of a game called Psychonauts. Well, to be fair, to be fair though. Psycho, predating Psychonauts was now did he did he work on Maniac Mansion? Um, I'm not sure if he did or not. I know that before Psychonauts, or maybe a little bit after Psychonauts, he worked Day on a game Tentacle. called. Uh, it might have been Day of the Tentacle. I know he also worked on Brutal Legend with Jack Black. Was he Monkey Island? He might have been. Well, basically, that. you know, there was this great period of PC games that were point and click, right? And they were built on humor, like Lucas. Was it Lucas Arts too? Like when you had that that style, that really fun. You know, yeah, there it is. You are correct. He worked on Monkey Island 2. He worked on yeah. uh, Monkey Island 1, of course. Indiana Jones. Uh, he worked on uh, Grim Fandango. Mm-hmm. Right. All of these were great games. Psychonauts, yeah, like, but, also pretty but good. These, but these were primarily PC games, though. Let's, let's be honest here. Like computer games because, you know, mouse, and, mouse click. Right. They have so. eventually made their way over, but yes. So Psychonauts was a huge deal to some, but not to all. Yeah, um, I mean, Psychonauts is definitely a love-it-or-hate-it kind of thing. You really have to be into the uh, humor of the game and kind of the style that it's going for because it wants to draw you in. It's not going to – you have to come to the game, I guess, is the way to put it. Point being, it's a great game. A lot of people wanted another one, and now we're going to get another one. And the other one was uh, the Psychonauts and the Rhombus of Ruin. It's only available on PSVR. Oh, wait. No, it's not that one. Um, 
the one we're actually talking about is Psychonauts 2, which was crowdfunded, I believe, via the FIG platform. They, uh, they've been promising Psychonauts 2 for a very, very long time. They have. Yeah, I showing it off for a very long time. I am confident it will not be what everybody wants it to be because they've been expecting it for so long. It's one of those games that like I don't think it can possibly live up to the hype because there's so much hype. Not because it'll be a bad game. Well, and here's the question. This is the question we always talk about whenever we talk about – what's the word you would use? Genre-based fandom versus mainstream expectations? Sure. Like, uh, we'll talk about this later, but, you know, Activision just announced a new Call of Duty, Vanguard. Yep. Oh, we're going back to World War II. Yay! The expectations for that game are simultaneously high for the mainstream, but very low on, like, what to expect creatively. We're right. If you, go over, if you yeah. go over to Reddit, Reddit's going to say the Vanguard's going to be terrible. But your average person will be like, oh, they're making a new Call of Duty. I can't wait to play it. But Psychonauts is not that. Psychonauts doesn't really have a lot of penetration outside of its fandom. Yeah, and, and the problem though is that when you when you have these expectations of like mainstream blockbuster success based on a game that by all rights should not appeal to the mainstream, then you're going to have disappointment. And that's right. and I think that can uh, sort of have a retrograde effect and and make make the appearance of Psychonauts two feel disappointing to people who probably would have never even heard of it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely true. We'll have to see how it goes. Honestly, now isn't it coming on Game Pass? It is, actually. It's coming out the 28th, I believe, on Game Pass. That's goodness gracious. You know, that means it's going to have the widest sorry. audience. Funny huh? story. Right after Psychonauts comes Mist, the original Mist on Game Pass. Let's just mention that real quick. Well, what? Is that, is that the original or is that the remixed version? It might be the remix, remix version. It, it boggles the mind that it would just be Mist. Not Riven? Just Mist? Uh, it's just Mist. It's, it's a 9 gigabyte version of Mist, so I imagine it's very, very... Jesus. Yeah. Okay, you know, I'm... Uh, Mist was one of the very first games I ever had to install for somebody on a Macintosh. Really? Because you got the game and you shook it and it had like 10 uh, 3.5 floppy disks. And in Mist it. on the Macintosh was basically just like like a website, right? Like a, a series of like hypercord links. No, it was. Uh, you had to like. Here's the thing, though. Can I? I don't want to get off topic, but at one point in time, the Mac was was PC gaming. Really? <laughs> like it? It was popular. Like the Mac was the gaming platform. You forget Blizzard started Warcraft there. They started, you know, I mean, they started, uh, they started a lot of franchises over there, and Mist, I believe, debuted on the Macintosh, and um, no, you you installed the game, and it was basically just point and click. And I'll be honest with you, I have never liked Mist. I have never. Yeah, I'm not liked the biggest Mist. fan of it myself, honestly. But it was a phenomenon. That's true. And it was, it was supposed to beget this whole universe, and I know friends who still love it, and I get it, I totally get it. But um, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, go yeah. Mist. Hey, speaking of games that uh, I didn't think we would see, uh, the next one is a game I definitely didn't think we would see, and yet here we are. Um, so a game came out a couple years back. Uh, it was No More Heroes Travis Strikes Back, and it was this top-down co-op brawler that, I mean, I thought it was pretty cool, but I like Suda51 a lot. Most people didn't much care for it. And I would have swore at the time the reception was so bad, that was the end of No More Heroes. Uh, that is not the case. No More Heroes 3 is a thing. It's coming at the end of this month. No More Heroes is was that game that made it very difficult to hold an argument with people whether the the Wii was a uh, hardcore gaming platform or not. You remember that? Yes. Like there was there was a bunch of there was a bunch of titles on the Wii that you could easily make the case that the Wii was a gaming platform that you should be playing. There was Mad World, No More Heroes. Um, you know, there was Dead Space Extraction. There was tons and tons of stuff on the Wii if you looked for it. But for some reason, the hardcore gaming community never accepted it. Right. And and I don't think there was ever a game on the PlayStation 3 
or the Xbox 360, that was a, as much a celebration of hardcore gaming as No More Heroes. Yeah, that's true. And the crazy thing about that, again, is that it was a Wii game. It eventually made its way to PS3 and such, but the fact that it was on the Wii, alongside games like Mad World, which, again, mm-hmm. celebration of hardcore gaming, as you say, a console that, you know, this is at the point when we still thought Nintendo only made kitty games. Mm-hmm. And yet, here we are. And years later, getting No More Heroes 3 is kind of a vindication of the idea of the whole series, really. Yeah, and I like I said, I'm surprised we're seeing it, but this is another case where Nintendo's pretty much ponying up for the game, aren't they? Sort of like uh, I believe Bayonetta it's like 3. Bayonetta 3, which we, I, I guess it might still exist. Um, no More Heroes 3, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're paying for it. We're going to be talking about uh, game sales in a few minutes, and I just want to say I've made this point on this podcast before that the the Switch is, the Switch has been able to produce some extraordinary sales numbers for games that otherwise wouldn't have seen it. Uh, oh, sorry. And Before I continue, I absolutely want to point out. Um, yeah. Nintendo will pay for the development of entire games, right? Like No More Heroes Three, right? They will fund the developer. How um, they will they will be the primary funder of the de- they they don't buy developers outright like Microsoft does. But they will they, they will work in tandem. Like for example, um, back in the Game Boy days, they would uh, hire Capcom to do Zelda games, or so they the would point hire Sega to, to do F Zero. The point I'm trying to make here is how is this any different from the Epic Store paying for exclusivity? Ah, very intelligent. Well, they're paying, but they're not paying for the development of the game. Like I think I think there's a case to be made where if Nintendo did not pay for this, this game wouldn't exist. Mm, true. You know, I mean, so again, again, we say Bayonetta, Bayonetta three, but you know, I mean, it it is what it is. Um, right. Whether the game's any good or not, we don't know. I mean, I I have people who idolize the first No More, the first two No More Heroes. Oh like no, both. they were they were excellent games. Yeah, they're very funny, by the way. But they're very like honestly, between I don't know what's more Japanese Yakuza games or the No More Hero games. Hard to say, really. And, and by Japan, I mean like a fictional, fake cartoon Jap- Japan that has no basis in reality. Right. I don't know. No more heroes. Too. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, we'll looking for the planet. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I don't know. Is it going to use motion control? I would not be surprised. Hmm. Okay, we'll we'll figure it out. Yep. Let's talk about our next section real quick. Our favorite section, which is NPD, the National Purchase Diary. Yep. As I always say, this used to be the main focus of this podcast. We've uh, relegated it to secondary status because it's not that interesting to be the first run anymore. If we wanted to report what the publishers think about how good they are, we have plenty of press releases we could just read to you. We could. Let us read a press release. No, uh, it's cool, though. Uh, full disclosure, we have friends who work over at NPD, so it's not like we're unbiased. But it's a good snapshot. What we're trying to tell you is use the NPD numbers with a grain of salt. They're more for fun. They're more for entertainment. Like the magic numbers you get in the fortune cookie, do not bet the kids' college fund on the lottery. Exactly. So let's just get this out of the way. So uh, total spending for July, that was last month, was hardware, software, all the toys, all the headsets, so, all the game cards. Right. So total spending has gone up enormously, 98%. And I think a big part of that is that people have been a little bit more willing. 98% um, on hardware, by the way. Okay. Yeah, on hardware specifically. And I would probably attribute that to people being more willing to go outside when we briefly had a break in the pandemic <laughs> uh, pandemic state. But um, that's I don't think we'll see that kind of surge again maybe until the holidays. Yeah, and like, like I said, uh, what, what's the NBD report? It's four point six billion, up ten percent over last year. That's a big gain, but that's a gain, like you said, that's a big gain because people are going outside. But a lot of that is hardware based. And right, and a big part of that too is the fact that uh, one thing that we mentioned that's mentioned here is that uh, the PS Five and the Xbox Series consoles are actually just kind of selling like every single box that they are making is getting sold. 
And because they've made more boxes, they've sold more. It's that's, that's it's that simple. The prices are higher too. Right. And what's funny though is the PlayStation Five was the highest earning console, the platform of the month. But once again, the Switch outsold it. And I think we need to to talk about something. We always we always disparage the Xbox here, but I do want to I do want to support it a little bit. But highlights for NPD uh, include. Uh, da, 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 MLB The Show 21 surpassed Resident Evil Village to become the second best-selling game of 2021. I think that's important, but I want to go back to that. Yep. What we usually do is we usually talk about the software charge, which I'd like to do now. Let's uh, go ahead and do that then. We'll start at number 20. Yes, start at number, number 20, 20, which is uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, we're going to see this one jump up a little bit in next mm-hmm. month's show because it just had some DLC come out. Yep, and that always helps. Yep, absolutely. Number 19 is Resident Evil Village, which is an excellent game, very much worth a look. Uh, 18 is Pokemon Sword and Shield. You know, Nintendo exclusives always do well. Likewise, number 17, Breath of the Wild is on there, as it will always be. Uh, number 16 is surprising, a little bit. That is that is surprising. Yeah, number 16 is uh, the sequel to kind of a niche game that I didn't realize did as well as I guess it must have. Uh, number 16 is Neo, The World Ends With You, which is the sequel to, of course, The World Ends With You. Um, a DS game that came out, damn, 2007 or so, quite a while back. Um, but I guess enough people were interest, interested in it, and now it's doing super well, and people are buying it. Well, again, you know, my my uh, argument was that we're going to, we're seeing games on the Switch that otherwise wouldn't be big sellers that right. are becoming big sellers, and it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon right now. I've never seen such a thing before, and that's an interesting point too. Because it's not like you can play Assassin's Creed Valhalla on the Switch, at least so far as I know. So, in the absence of some of these bigger games, bigger, more well-known games, you end up playing stuff like The World Ends with You. And you played it. You reviewed it. Oh yeah, no, I thought it. it was great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, again, it's a surprise this game even exists. Yeah, I so, wouldn't have expected they'd ever make a sequel. They just seem to they seem to have forgotten that franchise existed, and then out of nowhere, bam, we made an anime. We made a game. <laughs> well, you know, another thing uh, you bring this up is that anime actually sells really well now. Um, anime has never been more popular, right. like on, on the streaming channels and everything. I think Sony is a big proponent of that. Uh, yeah, so. and indeed on Crunchyroll, they actually put the world into with you anime like front and center for several months before this game came out, which probably helped as well. Yeah, there's a lot of interplay between the two. So it's it's I want to say it's surprising. I mean, not surprising, but it's a little surprising still. So yeah, moving on. Number 15 is Mortal Kombat 11. Um, I think we mentioned last month, I'll mention it again, they're actually going to stop making content for this game, presumably because they're readying up for Mortal Kombat 12. It would be interesting to see what happens. I think Mortal Kombat 11 uh, has become the best-selling fighting game of all time. That doesn't surprise uh, me. It's going to be a tough one to top, really. That's interesting. Uh, you know, you you were always you were always on board with these, and you convinced me that the Mortal Kombat franchise has legs. And I will say this: um, it's a good game. Yeah, and it really is. It. Number fourteen is Super Mario 3D World. Um, now that's interesting uh, because it also comes with Bowser's Fury. We don't talk about that much, so specifically we're referring to the Switch version, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Solid game, though, worth a look. Um, actually, I. Stopped us because I thought, oh, they're talking about that uh, that Super Mario 3D All Stars. They're not. Uh, they don't sell that game anymore. No, it's uh, number, yeah, it's gone. Uh, number 13 is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, of course. Uh, 12 is Animal Crossing New Horizons. That one's not going away for some time. Um, you know, it's funny. I wonder if slash when the pandemic state ever ends, will people still want to play this game? You know, because obviously they're going to associate it with the pandemic year of 2020. Will you still feel good about playing this game? It depends on how well they've established themselves and how they do it. Nintendo's not known for DLC, but I think uh, if they keep if they keep Animal Crossing as a platform alive, then yeah, I think it has I think it has legs. Gotcha. Number eleven, uh, down from number one, if you can believe that. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, mm-hmm. uh, a solid game for PS5 owners. The problem is, it's still kind of tough to become one of those. Well, that's the thing. That's uh, I don't think the 
the decrease of Ratchet and Clank from one to eleven or whatever it does is an indication that people don't like the game. It's just that there's, you can't buy it. I mean, yeah. it. It's not like Breath of the Wild where people bought the game without the platform. I mean, everybody, everybody who had the platform probably wanted the game and bought it when they could, and now nobody else has a PS5 to play it on. So yeah, it's uh, a massive hit though. I mean, it's a it's a huge success for Sony. Ratchet absolutely. Uh, number 10, uh, Smash Brothers Ultimate, of course. Number 9 is Modern Warfare 2019, Call of Duty, sorry. Uh, number 8 is Miles Morales, another one of those hard-hitting Sony-exclusive games. Number 7 is MLB The Show 21. Uh, I believe that's also exclusive, isn't it? Which one? Yeah, uh, published by MLB? Sony, so of course it is, yeah. Well, not really. Um, no? In fact, that, that's also a sign is that, remember, MLB The Show has become the second best-selling game of the year, mostly because it is now multi-platform. Ah, this okay. Game's, That's this right. game's available on the Xbox, which, again, remember I said I want to come back to it. Uh, I will say this. On this list, you will see a lack of Microsoft product. And you sure will. And, in fact, I don't think you see any Microsoft product. There is one Microsoft-owned IP on here, and we're about to get to it. Yes, but it's not that version that's selling. That's, that's the thing. Um, and I want to say this. This is why I said NPD numbers should be taken with a grain of salt, because they don't they don't always reflect what's going on. And I want to I want to support Microsoft here and say this. We talk ad nauseum about Game Pass. As we'll see after we talk about NPD numbers, Corey, is that I think there's a lot more going on underneath the surface that we're not privy to simply because the way game sales are cataloged. Uh, Microsoft put out a press release last month. They said the Xbox Series X S is the fastest selling platform ever, whatever. But I do think that there's been some success with the Xbox platform that's not reflected on this list. And I think one of the reasons we don't see any Microsoft games on this list is because they're on Game Pass. Yep. And if they're on Game Pass, they're not going to be counted as sales. That's exactly correct. Even if, I think to some extent, like you played it on Game Pass, but you didn't necessarily buy it. You still paid for it because you're paying for Game Pass. That's why I want to talk about MLB The Show, only because this is not on Game Pass, is it? You have to buy it. And so if you have an Xbox, you want to play this game, you buy it, therefore it adds to the sales. Yeah, absolutely. Number six, by the way. Mario Golf Super Rush. It is a golf game where you can die of thirst. I mentioned that last time. It's still hilarious to me. Uh, been a pretty big success for Nintendo, but not the best received game of the year by any stretch. That's very true. Uh, one of the best received games of all time, however, number five is Minecraft. That's what I called a Microsoft property, which I guess it kind of is. It is. It's yeah. uh, Microsoft's biggest property, the biggest IP they've ever had. Yep. And it, they made a they made a bundle up when they bought that game for what? How much is it? Two billion? I forget what it is. But uh, yeah, Minecraft. And That's it's Minecraft. And it's uh, on everything. And everybody likes this game. It's yep. just become it's become It's ubiquitous. <laughs> ubiquitous, I guess is it's, the word. It is well, it has become this generation's Tetris in a way. Yeah, that's very which true. Is, which is fitting because it's all blocks. So the last so. few games are mostly not super surprising, with one exception. Actually, no, I would say none of them are surprising at all, to be honest. Number <laughs> four is Mario Kart 8, of course. Uh, number three, Monster Hunter Stories 2, Wings of Ruin. Huge sales. Huge sales. Not, I, I guess if I were surprised, I shouldn't be because it's Monster Hunter. Uh, but it's so different from the other games in the series that I guess I maybe expected to play a little bit lower than this. I read somewhere that the first Monster Hunter Stories is coming to Apple Arcade. It already has. Yeah. It already has? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go figure. This is how you diversify a franchise, though. You, you come up with different versions, var- variations. This is a strategy game more, right? Isn't it? It's an RPG. RPG? Yeah. So you can tell I play this series. Yeah, but uh, but it's matched perfectly with the Switch, isn't it? And I yep. think it, it's because uh, after Monster Hunter World, which you required a console to play, Monster Hunter's gone back to being mobile a little bit. 
And I think yeah, to some extent, people kind of people kind of want that. And the nice thing is that this one is um, it's on different platforms. I, mean, I played it on PC. I believe you can get it on PS4. It's also on the Switch. Uh, contrast with say Monster Hunter Rise, the last big mainline series game, which is only on the Switch. Have you seen the show Monster Hunter Legends of the Guild on I Netflix? Have, I have not. No, I will say, I used to make fun of Netflix exclusive shows. That's going to go off in a, for the tangent for a second. I used yeah. to make fun of Netflix exclusive shows, but then I watched The Witcher. The Witcher is really good. That's the one with Superman, right? Yeah. But but their their animated shows are typically crap. I see. Well, I'll have to check it out. Maybe maybe it's better than I would think. It might be. I don't think it's Sandra. I think it's – is it CG? But Probably. But no, they're – yeah, it's like I used to get excited. Like, yeah, Masters of the Universe is coming back. Yeah, this is coming back. Then I see it. Like, ah, crap. Nah, that's Netflix. Rip. So, yeah, yeah, it's really sad. Yep. But, Number uh, two. Yeah. Number two is Black Ops Cold War. Not surprising. Number one is uh, The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, which is also not surprising. I mean, everybody says, oh, this is one of the worst Zelda games, and here it is. Number one. Yep. See, I'm a little surprised. Oh? I'm a little surprised that a you know a 10-year-old port of a, of a Wii game could could rise this far to outsell like, on a single platform. I thought maybe this game would debut at two or three. Yep. Kind of like we saw with Wind Waker HD on the Wii U, but again, the, the the Switch is massively successful, and I think I think the most important takeaway, if you look at this list, right? I'm going to go back to this list. I'm going to start from number twenty. Just again, take it with a grain of salt. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Half the list is Wii exclusive. Uh, excuse me, Switch exclusive games. Right. And a whole bunch of them are multi-platform that are selling because the Switch version's there. Yes. And I was going to save this story for later, but there was a story that came out a couple days ago in Japan. You remember this? In Japan, the entire top 30 uh, sales chart in Japan is all Switch games. Every one of them. All 30. And that's the first time that's happened in 33 years. And that's with the massive success of the the PlayStation 5 is very successful in Japan. Extremely it sold like 8 million units already and not a single game charts. Yep. Not one. Crazy. And I thought, and but you see this so consistently and this is interesting. So I, I just find the whole thing. I just, I just find the whole thing interesting, Corey. Like, um, absolutely. Yeah. It just, now's a good time to bring out new IP is what I'm saying. Now's a good time. Very true. I'm right there with you. So looks like that's all of the charts. Um, other stuff that we've got here, we've already talked about call of duty Vanguard a little bit. We've got Intel creating a new gaming GPU, the Arc. We'll see about that one. I'm not so sure. What do you, what do you think about this? Like, are, are you you're well? Well, what am I even asking? I helped you. I know where you got. You have uh, you are a Nvidia guy. You have RTX power and all that stuff. Yes. But I um, think I'm Intel. I think I'm Nvidia as well. But I know a lot of people are AMD. So honestly, I, I am glad about this for several reasons. I guess if I had to think about it, the first is that obviously you want more competitors in any given market. That way, everybody gets better stuff as, as a result. Um, another thing is that the difficulty of finding GPUs comes down to, in no small part, to the fact that there's only two manufacturers, also the chip shortage as well. So a third manufacturer pumping out GPUs would give people more options, which is great. That's true, and you know, the, and we're talking about primarily game consoles when we talk about these games, and you know they're powered by AMD AMD technology. The, uh, the exception, of course, being the Switch. But when it comes to GPUs uh, or integrated graphics on PCs, especially laptops, Intel, Intel is the leader in this. You know, I, I mean, have, I don't know. What, type of, what laptop do you have now? Um, I have an Asus Republic of Gamers of some variety. It's got, a, I believe, a 2060 and a mobile 2060. 
but you know, but the standard laptops have the integrated GPUs, which are you know, yes. I forget Z, I forget the uh, Iris or whatever they call them. They're okay at like things like Fortnite, but the fact that Intel, which makes those integrated GPUs, are getting into like hardcore GPUs could shake up the industry, which has been basically a binary for a lot, forever. That's true. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing if it happens. We'll see. I mean, news is scarce, so we don't really we don't really have a lot to say. One more quick news story, real quick, uh, and I already kind of briefly talked about it. Sea of Thieves broke its uh, records in it did. June. Do we know why? I can tell you why. Except for the obvious. Yep. <laughs> so, so the reason, of course, is the fact that there is a Pirates of the Caribbean crossover featuring Captain Jack Sparrow. Okay. Going back to MLB The Show, though, this is not this is another example of how if we're trying to find how Microsoft is doing in this business, we have to go sort of outside the NPDs. Right. Because Sea of Thieves is a Game Pass game, so it doesn't sell units. It you know, it's it's part of the it's part of the platform. Yes. And so, but it's obviously very successful. I mean, it's 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 maintained itself. I mean, when did this game come out? A couple of years ago. Um, Sea of Thieves was, I think, three four years ago. Yeah, and it was never it was never like a huge game at the time. But it's think about how saturated the market is with the Call of Duties and the Fortnites and and everything. Mm-hmm. And this game has somehow managed to survive and thrive. Sure and has. That's, and that's very interesting. And I'm yep. wondering, I'm wondering if. Um, if, if its success has anything to do with Microsoft's decision to turn Halo Infinite into like a free-to-play game, I feel like that would be very likely. Yeah. Have you played the beta yet? Are you involved in it? No, I've not had a chance to try it yet. <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of betas. I like, I like when I, you know me, I'm a, I'm a survivor of trade shows. Yep. So I like sitting down with the finished product. Like I want other people to do like the testing for me, so I don't have to. Absolutely. I don't, I don't, I don't quash bugs, Corey. Right. So, I hear that. Uh, not a huge month, but a good month for yep. everybody. everybody. Everybody had good news this month, everybody. Uh, final thoughts before we head out. You know, August again, slow month, not surprising. What do we have coming up in September that gets my attention? Let me just take a look real quick. This is, this is how research is done, people. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're learning a lesson here. This is how we do things. Uh, next month looks pretty exciting. We've got uh, Guitaria Fables. We've got Tales of Arise. That's pretty exciting. Deathloop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deathloop yes. looks good. Yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. So yeah, uh, Diablo 2 Resurrected also coming out. Yeah, a lot of stuff worth playing. So there was a rumor that Metroid Prime Trilogy is coming back. Have you heard anything about this? I have not heard about that. It probably wouldn't be next month, though. So Metroid Dread comes out in October? Is that it? Yes, it is. October 8th. So I just want to share with listeners before I leave, uh, I'm a little ashamed of myself. But as I admitted to Corey, in my, you know, before he told me to say 10 Hail Marys, is that I never beat a lot of the Metroid games growing up. I, I mm. just got distracted everything. And I know, I know, you're all shocked. I know, mm. pin cushions. But I've been on a Metroid glut the last month, and I have beat Metroid. If I'm wrong, the fans will skewer me. Super Metroid is Super Nintendo, right? Yes, So as the name would suggest. <laughs> Metroid Fusion is Game Boy Advance. It's on the Game Boy Fusion, yes. Yes, <laughs> Game Boy Fusion. That's a thing. That really yeah. happened. Uh, <laughs> somebody out there believes that. And then... Uh, for uh, Zero Mission, which is also Game Boy Advance. Yes. And then we have Metroid 2 Samus Returned remake on the 3DS, correct? Uh, that's called, yeah, Metroid Samus Returns, what that's called. By the way, that's another example of a game that only exists because Nintendo paid another developer for it. Yep. Was it Silicon something, Silicon Knights? I, I believe it might have been, I don't recall. Yeah, they, they did the Castlevania games that no one bought yep. on the PlayStation 3. Uh, but no, and then... Uh, went back to uh, GameCube 
and finally beat Metroid Prime. It took me 19 years, but I beat Metroid Prime, Corey. That is a lot of years. Yeah, but you know what, though? It feels special. I've been starting to play Metroid Prime Echoes. I don't know if I'm going to finish it, but I, you know, have you played Echoes? Did you I have. It's all right. Yeah. You know what's funny, though? Just being objective, you f- kind of forget how pretty those games were on the GameCube. Like right. how nice they looked and how good of a developer Retro was. Maybe still is. I don't know. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for Dread. I'm, for the first time, I'm really excited for a Metroid game uh, in the modern era. I'm, we'll see what happens. Why don't you carry that excitement to our next podcast? I will carry it. That's called a transition period. All right. So, and with that, you have been listening to the Pop Zara podcast, a.k.a. The State of Gaming, our gaming-centered podcast where we talk about games in a way that you can understand and you can talk with your grandma about. That is how you diversify. With that, you have been listening to our podcast. If you like what you listen, if you like what you heard, give us a like, shout us out, share us with your friends, share us with everybody. We don't care. I want to thank special senior games editor, Mr. Corey G-Man Gallagher. Corey, thank you once again. Hey, thank you. He did it. He made it happen. This is Nathan Evans signing out from popzara.com saying we will see you on the next level. Bye-bye. Subscribe to the Popzara podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app or service today. 